episode 20 of what's the value uh that feels like a big deal not because it's like anything special or took any like special skill but um i guess the fact that i'm sticking with it is cool so with that uh on today's show we have opal uh opal king and opal was a really cool interesting conversation um so opal is chinese but was adopted into an australian family um and she well firstly she she was one of the most prepared guests i think i've had on the show yet uh, she had some notes she had some definitions handy she had clearly thought a lot about you know her value which was integrity what it meant how it applied um, why it was so important so that's always cool right just somebody thoughtful but then she kind of paired that with uh, a willingness to, to be honest, to kind of explore. And we talked about a ton of stuff. Um, we talked a lot about, uh, so for her, integrity meant a consistent practice of kind of sticking to a moral compass type thing. So we talked a lot about that, right? What, what's good, what's bad? How, how do you define that moral compass? Why is it so hard for people to do this, to kind of be consistent? But what was interesting is she, she brought up the point that, um, it's, it kind of, it, it, it breeds an inherent conflict and tension, which was interesting. And, and you'll hear it in the show and kind of where we went with that. Um, but then she also got personal too. talked about her, her journey kind of as being adopted and what it meant for her and trying to figure out, you know, who she was and where her values came from, right? Did it come from her Chinese heritage? In some cases, <clears throat> you know, the, the struggle and the grapple of trying to assimilate, but also kind of understand her Chinese heritage and what that journey was like. So just lots of lots of cool, uh, honest conversation, but all kind of gravitating around this idea of integrity and, and how we should be acting and, and, and different aspects of that that we explored. So uh, I really hope you enjoy this one. It was a fun one for me. And uh, thanks for listening. All right, Opal, thank you so much for being on the show and welcome. Uh, let's dive right in. What's the value that's most important to you and guides your life? Perfect. Mine would definitely be upholding integrity. Integrity. Okay. Yeah. Say more about that. So what does that, what does that mean to you? So um, I was actually thinking about this and I think that a lot of people have a misconception when it comes to the definition of integrity, or at least I did, you know, because when I was thinking of this word, I was like, oh, like. I know it's integrity, but I'm like, what is integrity, you know? And, you know, I think a lot of people think it's just, you know, being honest or, you know, liking honesty, you know, having those strong moral principles. And then I actually looked up the definition and it came up with the actual definition is the practice of being honest and having a strong moral principle. And I think that's a very big difference. Don't you agree? I do. Yeah, no, I think it's huge. And so, you know, I think that integrity as its actual definition is the practice and the showing of consistent and uncompromising adherence to strong moral and ethical principles, you know. So this is what I would say integrity is. And this is when I talk about integrity. That's this what is you what mean. So yeah. the honesty piece I, I get, obviously, the moral piece I get to the moral compass but I guess the question becomes that's that's somewhat subjective so how do you how do you define that moral compass how do you know what the moral compass is that you should be following 
Yes. Yeah, maybe so it's not. I, maybe it's not, right? Maybe you'll say, actually, no, I think it's universal that everybody should follow. But what, what is it for you? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that. There, I mean, obviously, I do think there are certain universal morals that are ethically, you know, valid and it's kind of undeniable, you know, like no one should be less than another, you know, mm. etc. Um, but I think when I mean a strong moral principle, I guess obviously it can be attuned to, you know, your inherent or, you know, just the values that you do, um, I think kind of lead to, like, you know, maybe some people really seek that need to balance, you know, mm. to balance conversations, to to be fluid with each other, you know, to try and make sure that everyone's at least enjoying each other's company, mm. you know, whereas other people might morally, you know, um, kind of uphold this need to be independent and to be a strong individual that can stand out, you know, and that can stand against people. So I guess when I mean this strong moral principle, I guess, um, yeah, it's it's quite broad to what I was saying, but I did actually make a couple, you know, just a couple more values to add to. Yeah, hit me. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, hit me. Oh, yeah? Okay, yeah. perfect. Uh, so, you know, definitely honesty, justice, fairness, personal freedom, and, you know, the freedom of conscious self-expression, mm. um, courage, loyalty, respect, and personal development. So there are a couple of my strong moral principles. And I guess what I am saying is, yes, it can be subjective as long as they're ethical. Yeah, I get it. So, so in some ways, um, what I think I hear you saying is that yeah. that consistency piece, that practice piece is really the key thing for you. Like it's, there, there are things you believe people should act in accordance with, as you just listed, and we could talk about those and we will, but for you, the important thing is that people have a consistent practice towards it. Is that yeah. fair? Am I summing that up right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was just being very specific on the practicing of integrity, you know, the practicing of morals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So on yeah. that Pete, on that point, do, do you think, and I ask this genuinely, I'm not leading the witness here or anything. Do you think most people, that's where they struggle? Like they generally know what they should be doing and how they should act, but they struggle to do it consistently? Yes, definitely. And I, I do, I did make some notes on this. So I think to make it as clear as yeah. possible. But I think that, you know, this value is diminishing because modern culture and society has conditioned us to repress our integrity. Mm. And, you know, I'm predominantly talking about the age group that probably use social media, as well as probably the age group that, you know, those developing years. So I'm going to say 13 to 25. However, I will say that it's probably it's expanding, which is not very good. Um, but yeah, so um, I think that integrity because it will always lead to a form of ridicule, hmm. adversity and exclusion, I think there's a significant reduction in this value because it's conflicting with this upheaval of cancel culture. Can and I stop you for a second? Can just... with cancel culture? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can, yeah. can I stop you though, just to ask one question? So did you, I, I just wanna make sure I have it. Did you say, is it having integrity leads to the ridicule or what, what was that point about that it always leads to ridicule? That... Yeah, yeah, I think someone who upholds or I guess, yeah, mm, upholds their it. integrity, it will always lead to ridicule. Got it, got it. Because, you know, integrity creates tension, you know, that's kind of nonetheless, no matter what you're, I guess, upholding your morals or whatever you're specifically confronting, it's always tension. 
Would you not agree? I think I do agree. I'm, I'm, I'm playing through the thread in my head and I think that's right. I think yeah. people, well, let me say it. Let's, let's, let's explore it a little bit. So what we're saying is people that are, that, that practice integrity, right. Or have integrity, they yeah. stick to their morals consistently at, at all times. And yeah. what you're saying is almost inevitably that's going to run into conflict with other people. And that's going to cause that tension and that ridicule. The other people that it's going to run into conflict with is that, could it be anybody or is it like people in power? Is it those like, what's the, what causes, is, is there a common thing that causes it to run into conflict? Or do you think it's just in general, it just happens because it's just the math of it? Yeah, no. Okay. So I definitely know where you're coming from. And I guess when I mean ridicule, adversity and exclusion, there's always that potential mm. of ridicule etc right I think there's a lot of benefits you know I think I'm talking about integrity in a negative way but I'm you know with integrity you also create a sense of individuality and you also create you know a sense of just undeniable respect if you have ethical you know what I mean so obviously it's a double-sided coin but I guess um because I'm talking about this value diminishing I think people who, you know, have a fear of upholding integrity is because they fear that ridicule and that adversity and that exclusion. Mm. And I think that, may I go on now? Sure, please. please. So I think that because the reduction, um, this cancel culture, you know, um, and for just a definition, it's the modern form of ostracism in which someone is removed of social or professional circles, right? Removed out of professional circles and stuff and so I think that it's created this unhealthy form of herd mentality where people cancel individuals and groups without knowing or agreeing with what they're actually getting cancelled for right this is very common in my age group sure you know and the culture I'm part of and I think that restricting people's um the social social media and trends is restricting people's expression of their individuality and what they choose to believe in until it is momentarily or socially acceptable Mm. and I think this is like the key defining because people will be like oh no I can say whatever I want I can just post on social media I have no fear but they do have fear they have fear if it's not socially acceptable or if it's not trending at that time so what's what's so I think this is great I think this is great (laughs) because I think this is super interesting so I guess the first question to ask is why like what what why why does that happen what are they afraid of or I guess not what are they afraid of why are people looking to cancel people when they say something that is not in line with the kind of societal norms or whatever it is what do you think is behind that okay well I think that to put it simply I think that because social media is so instant you know like you don't even know you don't even need to know the situation but you can know the people there you can know who's you know Mm -hmm. interacting with who you know without maybe knowing that maybe it was incredibly awkward or maybe that certain person wasn't even invited and that just happened to be in that video let's Mm. just say right um so I think that this cancel culture has kind of been a response to because social media and um, the assumptions that come with social media is so fast people want to cancel straight away you know they don't want to have any relationship with this person so you know and because usually it can be an individual but usually a group of people Mm. want to remove someone they want to do it quickly and fast you know 
So, you know, what's interesting about that. It's probably been said before, but I don't know that I've thought about it until you're, I heard you speaking on it. Yeah. I wonder if cancel culture is an almost like self-propelling in that the reason groups come to it and say, yeah, go cancel that person is out of fear of them being canceled. So I want to be on yeah. the right side of this. I don't yes. want to be canceled. So yes. let's go, go cancel more yes. people. And then it kind of feeds all and more people want to join in on the canceling. So they don't become the cancelee. Exactly. I wonder, do you think that makes sense? Yes. A hundred percent. I think that's the, the fundamental of cancel culture. So at the root of that would have to be this need for acceptance almost, right? Like if you follow that thread out, that's what it's getting towards. And what's, what's interesting about that is I think in a lot of the values you said, acceptance is a good thing, right? Accepting, being accepted, feeling accepted, that is a positive. Why do we think it's spinning in like a negative way here? It's like manifesting out in a negative way, you think? In that it's create, almost creating cancel culture. People's need to be accepted is causing them to not accept others in a weird way, right? Yeah. Well, you know, and I think that it just naturally comes with a form of privilege, entitlement, mm. you know, and I'm not saying that, um, you know, these um, situations only happen in sure. privileged cultures or privileged communities, you know, it happens everywhere. But I think it's that sense of entitlement and that, you know, um, that need to have someone who is inferior. I think that's significant. Yeah, I think that's, that's always going to be the case. You know? I think that's probably true. I've thought that too. And it's, it's, it's something that's depressing to think about really and, and sad. Is. So I think for many of us, we don't want to believe it's true, yeah. but let's, let's, let's run it out for a second. So I think what you're saying is like human nature is, it, it feels more Darwinian or like zero sum where I want to be on the winning side. I want to yeah. be the entitled. I want to be the one not canceled. I want to be the one in position of power, whatever it is, because the other choice is just to be on the bottom. Like it's one or the other and I want to be on top and that's just human nature. Yeah. If that's true, do we have any hope then? Like where, where's the hope for us that we can figure it out and actually get society to, to be a place where people do accept and don't feel the need to cancel? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, I think I'll answer that question in a second, but I will add to that saying sure. that I think that with the social media and these trends, I think that in short, integrity is now dependent on the fleeting social political trends presented in the media, which therefore means that the media is now dictating our expression of integrity. Hmm. Yes. Oof. So let me process that. I think... That's well, you know, when my mind goes right away when you say that is there's lots of questions about it, right, that we can explore as to why is that happening? Why do we think it's happening? But let's assume that's true. If the media is deciding what integrity is that what you said, how you said it, the media is deciding the values, right? And what's what I think most people believe about the media, which I think is true, is that the media is is looking to get views and clicks and, and attention, right? So there's this weird circular dynamic there, too, where the media is trying to give people what they think they want so that they'll watch and consume more of it. But at the same time, I think what you're saying might be true, which is the media then is actually telling people what to think. And it's almost like chicken or the egg. Like what, what starts that? Like what's really at the base of it? You think who's actually deciding the values? Um, I think that it does come with honestly, who has those certain, I guess, influences like those hmm. either celebrities or maybe I think that's a thing like it's just so hard to to pinpoint because it's really just people who have that momentarily momentarily mm. or socially acceptable power currently fluid. you know it's it's just so fluid and one minute you're loved one minute you're not so it's so hard to even say 
any specific identifying qualities. It's mm. just who is trending, I think. Who's ever trending, who's ever entitled in that moment, yeah. back to your point. And we could probably get into a conversation like broader, more macro about race, where you could start to say like, well, there's been certain people more entitled for a long period of time and that perpetuates itself. But but I think I think that makes sense. So there's no... So I guess I come back to it then that adds to it even more to what we were saying before. And then this fluid nature of, we don't even know who's driving the bus. Like what's the hope we have? If any. Yes. Yeah. And so I think like, I guess, you know, I talk so much about the media. So I'm sure. like, Oh, just get rid of media. you know. <laughs> but I guess I think um, I'd say that I think people just really, and I think this is why I say that specific age group, because I think the older you get, you know, you get sick of it, you know, mm. you get sick of, cancelling people maybe you you actually do like you know and who have been cancelled for maybe no particular reason you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um and I think that you know the older you get hopefully we can bring it back a bit you know but um people just need to learn to to face adversity I think that it's natural for us to be uncomfortable in confrontation and tension you know mm. I think that's a very natural thing but I think it's a very natural thing in in society and in the world in general you know awkwardness and confrontation and just maybe battling you know or arguing that's such a natural thing in you know evolution and society that I don't see why there's such an emphasis on oh, we can't do this. Like we can't, we can't have awkwardness or we can't mm. have a moment of silence or, you know, we can't disagree. You know what I mean? Like I, it's, do. I do. And, and I think there's probably that acceptance point. Yeah. 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 I think there's a fear in that. Well, yeah. I guess, I guess what I wonder too is, you know, if, if I, if I play devil's advocate, just for the sake of it, somebody yeah. might say on the other side who I, I don't, I don't know that anybody supports cancel culture, but at least the spirit of it, would say, well, it gets back to your entitlement point, right? There's certain people who need to be held accountable and they're acting in a certain way that's harming others. Therefore, yeah, I get it. Like there's times where we're going to miss or we're going to get it wrong and there might be some negative aspects to it, but it's net positive because we're trying to change something and we're trying to fix this kind of inequity and this entitlement problem. What would you, what would you say to that? Okay, so I think I got it. So I... Are you saying that cancel culture, are there some benefits of cancel culture? Yes. And I would even maybe say, again, devil's advocate extreme. Some people would say it's, it's, it's necessary. Like there's major benefits. We, we are stopping people who were previously entitled and hurting other people, whether that be through, you know, racism or, or sexism or, you know, whatever it is, all different things that were being done. Um, that's the way that you combat that. Okay. All right. Well, I definitely think that the the concept of cancer culture, I think there's some things that are inexcusable, right? You know, like sexual assault, mm-hmm. rape, you know, and, you know, violence of any form, you know. But I think the issue with cancel culture is that it doesn't educate and it doesn't allow for development or progression. Mm, okay. you know, I think there's, you know, there was, um, you know, a period where I think a lot of people you know, obviously, um, you know, in a great way, happily uh, um, and wanted to open up about sexual assault and, you know, people who maybe were still in very popular and um, consistent groups, you know, who haven't been called out, you know. So I think that, you know, that cancel culture in that sense 
is beneficial in the sense of it does highlight, you know, certain people who are dangerous. But I think the issue with that is there's no room for for mm -hmm. education. People don't educate the people who get cancelled. They just cancel them. So, know? so let's let's keep yeah. playing out the thread because I'm, I'm going to keep playing the other side because I think this is how we learn, right? This is how it's interesting. I could see somebody saying there's certain people where either a it's not my it's not our job to educate them or b we we they don't they don't, they no longer have that right right like they've done something yeah. egregious enough or bad enough where no 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 they should just be canceled right and yeah. then it's on them to figure out their education and figure that out yes and i think that it does obviously you know you do need to hold a sense of responsibility for the mistakes that you know you've done or made but i think that the issue with cancel culture is that it doesn't allow room for mistakes. And I know that mm. is, um, you know, contradicting, you know, what I'm saying about there's no, you know, sexual assault. Like, right, right. Ask that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of, there are people out there that I think really don't come from a place of education or nurture, you know. I get that. I get or, that. Or their own therapy. And I think, you know, and even people who are racist, I think there's just so many things that it really does come up with their own upbringing mm. and their own unfortunate environment that's led to this, you know? Mm. And I guess it's that fine balance of, you know, yeah. giving them a chance to be educated. And, and, and those, yeah. would you go as far to say, I, I think I would, as you're saying it, um, it's not only that it, it feels like intrinsically like a good thing to do, right? It's, it's better to give people a chance. It's, 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 you know, the more humane thing, whatever you want to call it. But I think maybe even more important is it's, it's functional, right? So let me say it the other way. Cancel culture is, is inefficient, right? If you're trying to solve and let's, let's go with racism, let's use that as, an, as, a, as one of the things, just as an example. If you're trying to, to, to do something about racism, some would argue that cancel culture actually doesn't do anything. It doesn't help right no. it, it the people that are racist it gives them the ability to kind of kick back and make oh no no they're the problem the cancel yeah. culture is the problem i didn't yeah. do anything wrong at worst yeah. right or like to your point they just don't get the chance to learn and figure yeah. out how to be better and what that looks like yeah yeah okay yeah. so i guess let's let's make it personal for a second because we're kind of on the macro let's go micro for a second for you personally right opal why is this something that is so important to you? I mean, there's an obvious answer to that, right? It's, you, you, it's, it makes for a better world and all that stuff. But you individually, why do you feel so called to this? Why is this something that's so top of mind for you? What's, what's the driver behind that? Yes. Okay. So I actually did a lot of thinking about this because I thought it was very important and interesting. And so I've actually come up with, um, I think, a combination of factors that have influenced um, my need to uphold integrity, let's say, right? And so um, their nature, nurture, and it's simply being part of my essence. And I've made some notes just to help explain sure. these specifics. Um, with nature, nurture, I am separating these as two different components that have influenced me. So for the nature aspect, mine would be, have you heard of intergenerational trauma? Yes. Yes, yes. And um, just 
for the definition. It is the trauma that gets passed down from those who directly experience an incident to subsequent generations. And so, um, you know, I think that I also like to see intergenerational trauma as a survival tool that is bred into us in order to assist in the very survival of that bloodline in that potential environment. Yes. Mm -hmm. For example, a pregnant mother who is living in the midst of a war carrying an infant will subconsciously transfer signals of fear and her fight and flight responses to her child. So if that child presumably grows to live in that similar environment, those triggers will help, you know, or hopefully assist in their survival. Correct? Yeah. So it got me thinking, you know, um, I think that when it comes to intergenerational trauma, you know, it it shows that physical, environmental and psychological, you know, survival tools, you know, let's say that we are given. And so I don't see why we're excluding morals as a form of, you know, survival tools, because, you know, morals create and hold our groups, cultures, religions and societies together, you know, and being a species that depends on our communities to survive. I do not see how morals gets removed from this equation. Does that make sense? It does. I'm curious why, I, I agree with you. Why, why do yeah. you think it is? Like what's the best guess as to why it, it is being removed? I think, I think, I guess it's that typical maybe connotations of like, you know, physical health and mental health. You know, I think people always prioritize physical health over their mental. And I think, you know, not only their mental, but then their spiritual, you know, spiritual mm. health and well-being that you just been recognized in the yeah. last decade, you know. So yeah, I think it's definitely just because we're quite slow on our spiritual growth, you know, and our emphasis on it. And so I guess this has now led to me and this theory, which I call intergenerational moral mm. or models, right? So I've decided that this influence of my value is due to, be, due to my intergenerational moral from my Chinese heritage. Mm. So say okay. more about that. Say more about that, how that Chinese heritage led to that. Yes. Okay. So I think that uh, the word honour you know, is very closely associated with China, you know, and other Eastern countries, but mm -hmm. predominantly China. And um, I think that, you know, I believe that, sorry, give me one second. Let me think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so with honour, um, I think that in China, there's this importance to honour your family, honour your bloodline, honour your ancestors. It's huge, you know, and I think that, Maybe for me, because I'm an Australian Chinese adoptee who's been adopted or who was adopted at the age of three, right? Mm. So I had obviously not a lot of Chinese environmental influences around me. I think that maybe this intergenerational moral and this need to honour could be inherent, you know? Mm. Um, so and it's, that, it's you were right to your your nature point it's in your nature yeah. it was passed yeah. down to you yeah. it wasn't a choice it wasn't something that you necessarily yeah. even were like thought developed it yourself it just was there yeah. from when you were born it was just there and I'm not saying it might have not been influenced by other factors right. but I think predominantly I'd like to say that honor is quite you know ingrained in my character and I think that um you know 
because I guess we're perceiving honor as the survival tool that I've used, you know? And I think that the need to, in, if I were maybe raised in China, I think that need to honor my parents to, to be dutiful, is that a word? Yep, dutiful yep. To, my, <laughs> to my parents and stuff. I think that um, it's it might've kind of repelled back onto me because I'm not with my biological parents. You know, I think that maybe now I have this need to honor myself and to mm. honor my morals, which has heightened my integrity. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, let me sum it up and then let me take the next step in the thread or, or the question yeah. to it. So, so you're saying your, your, your nature, right. Being from Chinese heritage, that focus on honor has kind of been passed down for you, to you as something that that's ingrained in you. And there's almost a duty or a responsibility to maintain that. But because you can't do it in the traditional way where you have a family and a legacy, it's gone kind of more inward for you where it's very yeah. important. You're, you're, you're your only legacy ultimately, right? Yes. You're your only yes. family. So you're trying to do that just within yourself. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I get that. I get that. Okay. I guess I would ask the next question, which is a simple and maybe even stupid one, but I think it's important. No why and and the, and the why was so why is that important right and the why might be like i don't i don't know why it's just literally in me and there's nothing i could yeah. do about it it might be as simple as that but is there some other like what's the benefit that you get 50 60 70 80 years from now whatever it is when when you're on your deathbed when you look at your life what is it you're going to think that's like yes that was good i'm happy with that life because i lived with that honor i guess you know and i'm going to go with the fact that i think if it is nature, you know, that has given me the sense of honor or my nurture mm. or my you know, current environment, I think nonetheless, I have that honor to uphold my morals. And I think that from such a young age, I have, I have had that need that it's literally developed into my character. Mm. Either it's always been in my character or it's developed so strongly in my character that nonetheless I have it and I think that it's my life would be unfulfilling if without I it so what's yeah. what's what's good about that for you but scares yeah. me broadly is it seems like there's a lack of control over it right so in some ways you might even say like you got lucky the thing that was ingrained in you the thing that is part of your essence is a good thing it's about honor yeah. right you could argue for people that have been ingrained something negative right for people that live towards something that we would not agree with right maybe you or I it goes against our moral values does that mean that they're not responsible for it? That they don't, there's nothing they could do to change it. It just is what they are. Yeah, I, that is interesting. And I think that, you know, I guess, um, you know, there's that classic saying, no one's born evil, you know? Yep. And um, I guess, I guess I differ in that you know mm. and i'm not saying that they're born evil and they they can't be changed or they can't be helped you know they're just doomed you know i think that it's more um i think i just think that maybe it some people are born with that natural tendency to actually be more malicious and i think that you mm. know if we're gonna use all these different values they're all values that have been that have been conditioned and you know, um, trained to be a survival tool, mm. you know, you know, maliciousness is not a good thing, right? but yeah, it might be a good survival tool occasionally, or, yeah. you know, in the very, you know, I guess. Do you, do you think, 
do you think that the people that are acting maliciously, as you say it, yes. do you think they are aware that it's malicious? Or to your point, do you think they're thinking either, no, 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 this is what I have to do to survive? Or maybe even they think, no, no, no this is a good thing. This is this yes. is better for everybody if I do this. Do you think it's that versus more like consciously being malicious? No, I, I, like I would say that I think that it really depends on the person. Okay. Um, I think that some people you know, psychopaths, sociopaths. Sure, like a mental illness, maybe. You know, yeah. But I think that, you know, maybe for some people, you know, manipulating, you know, I guess I used malicious, but manipulating and deceiving, you know, lying, all of these, I think, you know, are very common, you know, survival tools that we use constantly, you know, or that people use constantly. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that for some people, they're like, oh, I need to, like, it's, it's important. It's, it's what I have to do. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's, yeah. I think there's a, a really strong argument to be made for that. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I wonder as like an empathetic thought exercise, and, and I don't, I don't know where this goes. Um, because I think what you or I, or many people would aspire to is to say, how do we help that person? Right. And we can have a whole discussion about who decides if that person is good or bad, or the action they did is good or bad, but let's put it aside and just say, in this thought exercise is objectively bad the way they're acting or what they're doing yeah. we would want to help them we would want to help them to figure out how can they identify that and change yeah. it yeah. so the empathetic thought exercise could be not to say you should do this but for you if you had to change it if you had if you realize tomorrow like you know what this honor thing isn't working for me this integrity yeah. it's hurting yeah. me I, I need to do it differently yeah. I guess the like, how, could you even think about how you would come to that and how you would change because if you could maybe there's something you could pull to the other people to help them right obviously different circumstance but do you know what i mean yes no i do understand what you mean um yeah that's so hard because hmm, let me think about this sure i'll think too because i don't know that i have a good answer (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question um you know i'll I'll say just to fill as you're thinking maybe it's helpful maybe it's not one of my core values in life is to constantly be questioning myself. And, and the way I say it is, I've said it before in the show, I don't trust my own mind. It's not that I think it's always wrong. It's just, I have no reason to believe that it's always right. So whatever it is that's coming into my head, I, I never allow myself to have certainty on it. And I constantly am questioning and, and people could debate if that's good or bad. But to me, that's probably my first level solution to that is just never allow yourself to get a point where you don't question yourself. Always entertain the possibility that something you're doing might be wrong or hurting somebody else and make sure you do the work to check as best you can that it isn't. Curie, I mean, mean, what's your thought on that? Is that something that maybe works or is that something that, is there another way you think is better? Sorry, can you simplify that? Yeah, so I guess the (laughs) the danger for that person that's being malicious is they don't realize it, right? They don't don't even know they're being malicious. So my solution is always assume you might be being malicious, right? It might not be that you are, but always consider yeah. like, I might not even realize that I'm being malicious. So yeah. constantly question. And even when you think you're okay, question more, ask somebody else, you know, find ways that you can check. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. guarantee you're going to get it right, but it gives you a better chance. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think, you know, for someone who let's just say is inherently malicious, you mm-hmm. know, I think that it's, I would say it's impenetrative for them to go out into the world and to explore different behaviors and different, um, not even behaviors. It's like just different ways of going about things to maybe, you know, set themselves goals and be like, I will, I will be kind. I will do a kind gesture or I will, you know, yep. and just, just do, do and act 
in different ways and then I guess see the responses and then I guess it really is up to them, to, you know, to if that, with what they think is worthwhile or yeah. what get what they want, you know. But I yeah. guess that's the only thing I could say about someone. Yeah, I think it's right. It's, it's interesting because it's almost you're asking that person to take a leap of faith in a weird way, right? Because yeah. that person in that situation, as we're yeah. saying, believes I'm not doing anything wrong, but I'm going to take this leap of faith to think that I'm going to act as if I might be. I'm going to go ask a bunch of people, like you said, I'm going to do things differently, take kind actions, but they don't see any logic in it. They're like, I don't, it's almost like they have to say, like, I don't need to do this, but I'm going to do it just like, all right, I guess I'll do it. And that's probably why it's so tough for people. Yeah, like yeah. why do something that you feel like it makes no sense for me to do, you know, that's the, that's the trick and the trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is. So let me come back to you again, Opal. So in, in, in terms of that honor that you're living towards, right. And, and that successful life that you're working towards, yeah. um, what are the things that you're trying to do very, I guess, practically, you know, day to day to try and, and, and live up to that honor and maybe address some of these issues that we've been talking about in the world? Definitely, I guess, you know, going back to my values, like I think that I try to consciously enforce, implement and advocate for these values, you mm. know, the honesty, the justice, the fairness, the self-expression. Um, and I think that, um, you know, there's so many to choose from, but I think personal freedom and self-expression, you know, when done consciously and considerately, um, you know, I think that's something I very much push in everyone I interact with and everyone that I'm involved with, you know, friendship-wise, family-wise, I think self-expression and I think because it ties so strongly to obviously individuality and one's own integrity, mm. I think that honestly I'm just functioning on a way of trying to make everyone, you know, have a sense of integrity, honestly. Yeah, around that. <laughs> you, you mentioned self-expression yeah. a couple of times. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. What, yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that of why you think self-expression is so important? Yeah. Well, I definitely say that I think mine would stem from I think that um, difficulty in finding you know my my self-expression but more so my self-identity you know mm -hmm. I think being a Chinese Australian adoptee you know you have you have no ancestors you have no family you've got mm -hmm. no nothing but the physical features on your face mm -hmm. you know that I guess associate you can, can I ask there Opal sorry I apologize to cut you off but I think it's super interesting can you yeah. talk a little about what that, because I, I could never understand that, right? I just couldn't. I, I was not adopted. I, I don't have yeah. that situation. And I love to try and understand as best I yeah. can, as I think it'd be good for everybody. What, do, what does that really feel like? I think people hear the words, like, I don't have anything. It's just my face. What, what does that feel like for you? Oh, it's so hard. I guess, I guess in ways, like, the easiest way to put it would be, either wanting or not wanting to be a part of something that you are just that that it's just labeled on your face or mm. on your forehead sorry I'll say that again so I think that like um it's being associated with something if you want it or not and I think that you know a lot of people um you know I think a lot of Chinese Australian adoptees that I've been familiar with or known um, I think really do struggle um, with you know either 
siding with their Australian culture and their mm. Australian identity or their Chinese identity. And I think mm. for me specifically, I really removed myself from my Chinese identity because I think that nonetheless, no matter how involved I was, I'm always going to look Chinese, mm. you know. So I'm already wearing that, you know. I'm already identified as a Chinese person, you know. So I think that um, my need to really push for this Australian identity and to be part of this Western, you know, my Western family um, and, you know, the Western culture, Aussie culture, you know, I think that was so profound that I think that's why I really delved into that self-expression, you know. Mm. Yeah. Is that something that's evolved over your life? Like, I don't want to put words in your mouth by any means, but it sounds like what you're saying is a little bit, there was a time where you were kind of pushing down the Chinese part of you. You wanted to be part of the Australian part. Yeah. Is that something that you still feel or is that evolved where you've gotten a different perspective on that? Where do you sit on that today? Yeah, no. Okay. So I do think it's important to add, I think, um, because I think for parents, even for, um, you know, adoptive parents, yeah. I think they might really struggle as my parents did with, why their child does not want to be a part of, you know, the only thing they knew, right? Because mm. my parents, I think, um, consist like consistently try to, um, you know, push me and just, you know, immerse me in Chinese culture, you know, to really be in touch with that. And I think that my denial and my refusal of that really confused them. Mm. And it makes sense, you know. Um, and so I think that, sorry, a bit of, wait, well, I guess is that that feeling you had of denying that and refusing it, is that still this feeling you have today or is that changed as you've gotten older? Yes, yes no, it has changed. Thank yeah. you. So yeah. It has changed. I think it was definitely during primary school. And I guess it's it more also comes down to the actual years of, you know, when I was raised, it would have been 2004 all the way up to 2012, right, as my crucial years, you yeah. could say. And I think that there definitely was just, it was a lot more normal to experience just subtle prejudice and discrimination, you know? Um, and so I think I definitely um, repelled that by being like, oh, mm. I'm not really Chinese, you know? And, mm. and I think that it's very common for people who maybe look mixed, um, you know, I get people assume that I'm mixed all the time. And I think that um, people would always compliment me like, oh, you know, like, so you're, you're pretty, you know, you're mm. a pretty Asian because you you look white pretty much. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just, it's just this favoritism to, um, you know, Anglo culture or Aussie culture at that time. And anything other was just, you know, whitewash it, you know, yeah. literally. So I think that, that definitely really like I guess triggered that that need to have that Australian identity mm. and then I think in my later years of high school um, or early high school honestly yeah probably more later but later high school um, I definitely got more in touch with the values of Chinese culture I think tie very nicely with me as I said that kind of intergenerational yeah. morals um, I personally, I guess it's something that I'm, I'm on my own journey with. And I think that over, over time, I'd love to go and explore, be a part of Chinese culture more. I think it really is just accepting and coming to terms with, you know, the process, process that you've already been through and just continuing on that, you know? 
I think there's so much in what you're saying. Yeah. Like insightful and impactful and, and interesting yeah. and all those things because I think even the, the the point you make about when you were in school and you know people yeah. would insult you or, or maybe yeah. they thought they were complimenting the times but but also insult yeah. you um that reaction to it of of yeah. it's it's kind of almost gets back to what we were saying with that cancel culture before the, the yeah. human instinct of it to say like I, I don't want you to think less of me I don't want to be out yeah. so yeah. yeah like I'm almost going to agree with you even though I don't like what you're saying just to yeah. kind of be part of it and I think for people to hear that, I think the more people that talk about that in an authentic way, it only helps to get people to realize kind of what we were saying before, that it's so messy and complex in our own mind and the emotions are so difficult and all that. So like the appreciation of that, that this is fucking hard, like it's hard to figure all this stuff out is, is so important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I guess the other part I'm curious is when you when you started to switch, right, you said as you got older, it, it started to change. You started to appreciate the Chinese culture more. Do you, can, do you remember what, what changed well, in your mind? Like, yeah. Like either what happened or what changed in your mind that made you start to realize and appreciate that to go from the one end to the other. Yeah. I mean, and I guess I am going to involve media with this as well, but I think that recognition, that's very slow recognition of people of color and mm. BIPOC. I think that, um, yeah, that definitely obviously helped as well mm. as I think the older you get, I guess, the more you realize that, you know, maybe Aussie culture, it looks nicer when you're younger, you know, mm. everything as a kid, you know, like, like idealistic, like, yeah, it's ideal, idealistic, yeah. Like, you know, the TV shows, all of that, it's this dream, this fantasy, you know, mm. like any other culture in ways. Mm. And I think, you know, I guess, when you hit that high school or that older period, you're just like, that's not the way it is. And it's actually pretty shit, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely think that kind of moved more into, you know, creating my identity around my whole journey, you know, yeah. as of being, you know, born in China, you know, being adopted and now coming and being raised by my English and Belgium heritage parents you know I think that I really involved all these aspects now into who I am now mm. instead of just Aussie culture yeah you know? super interesting and, and, yeah. and we're coming towards the end Gerald, but I just had one more question I think yeah, um course. have you let me let me put it bluntly and then we'll, we'll dress it up a little bit but like yeah. would you would you go as far to say that it's it's it doesn't sound like it but has it gone the other direction like or, or how have you stopped yourself from going the other direction to saying as you said like you start to realize what i thought when i was a kid is not real it was too idealistic there's a lot of shitty stuff about western or australian culture you can imagine a very logical scenario where you start to become jaded against that and say you know what that's actually what i don't like now i'm going to throw that out and just embrace the other side it sounds like you're trying to strike that like the the, the reasonable middle ground that say there's good and bad and everything how, yeah. how were you able to do that and not go all the way to the other side Oh, definitely just by sticking to what I enjoy. You know, I think mm. my dad being part of surf life saving, you know, down by the coast for like, you know, the majority of his life. I think that, you know, I was a part of that for 14 years. I did surf life saving, you know, I surfed from the age of seven, you know, so I think that surfing aspect, yeah, I love it, you know, mm. going down to the beach, spending six hours there, you know, getting a sausage dog and then having a shower, you know, like I think that, yeah. that, part I love you know but you know honestly I think surfing and the beach I wouldn't even want to say beach culture I'll just say the beach and literally the, the beach yeah <laughs> literally yeah. Um, I would say um is the only thing I really hold strongly if I'm gonna say 
to Aussie culture. Mm. And then I think now I'm, I'm more just a combination of, I guess, the multicultural kind of essence of Melbourne in a mm. way, you know? Do you, uh, yeah, totally. Last question, I promise this one. I think it benefits, and I honestly don't know the answer to this, so I'm not suggesting one or the other. I'm really just curious your thoughts. Do you think it benefits people to identify as, you know, Aussie, Chinese, you know, Italian, American, whatever it is, or do you think we'd be better off if we just said, no, 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 I'm, I'm Opal or I'm Terry. And I know that in and of itself sounds idealistic and too simplistic, but I'm just curious in general, what's your thoughts on that? I think that would be very dependent on a person. You know, I think someone who is maybe another Chinese Australian might resonate more with their Chinese than their Australian, you know? So I think it really does depend on the person. Um, for me, yeah, honestly, um, mine will just be to be identified as me as a whole mm. um, and my nationality or my heritage. Um, but yeah, I think that it's definitely very just open to whoever, you know, yeah. they be identified yeah. as. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Oh boy, I, this was a great conversation. Uh, it's I love it because I never know where it's going to go and, and where we're going to go with it. But you brought so many kind of thought provoking concepts. And obviously, you did your homework on this. I know you had your notes. So I appreciate that. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I think people will as well. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you so much. All right. It was lovely meeting. All right.